enjoyed going with Mr. Jefferson to see the younger kids. Uh, they were very excited to see that. You always learn in- interesting things. And uh, the most interesting thing that we learned is that Emily Chaffin let President Jefferson know that her daddy is silly, and he needed to know that. Uh, so, Terry, get it together, brother, all right? July 4th just happened. Uh, we were again in Florida on vacation. July 4th, when the United States celebrates our nation's declaration of independence from the British Empire. Uh, that event, July 4th, uh, the Declaration of Independence goes back to 1776 when the Continental Congress adopted uh, the declaration uh, that was written by Mr. Jefferson. And we heard as we listened earlier their rationale for why the 13 colonies uh, were going to cease to see themselves as colonies and declare that they were independent states, no longer under the guidance of the British crown. Of course, there was only one huge obstacle to what happened in 1776, and that was that the rationale they gave was not going to fly with the British crown. The British crown had no uh, intention of giving up the American colonies, and so a war that had really already started uh, went to a whole nother level over the next seven years as the British Empire and the American colonials fought one another. It was the declaration that really got things hot. At the time it happened, if you were to uh, go to Vegas, I don't know, obviously they didn't have a Vegas back then, but whatever the the equivalent of Vegas would have been, if you had gone to the odd makers and said, uh, who is going to win this war, uh, I think the opinion would have overwhelmingly been the British Empire. With its mighty army and its mighty navy, there was no guarantee that the colonies would achieve what they wanted. A huge obstacle had to be overcome for America to become the nation the United States is. All of us in this room, we face obstacles. The devil and his forces, uh, preachers may take a vacation, you may take a vacation, you may take a break, but the devil and his forces and his army, they never take a vacation. The work of sin never slows down. And so even this week, the enemy, the devil, and the forces of sin have been at work trying to defeat you and everyone else in this room. The Bible warns us, in some places with a small, still voice, in other places it's almost as if the Bible screams at us to get get our attention, that many people indeed have fallen away from the faith, have left this journey of following Jesus because All they could see was the obstacles in front of them. They could no longer see Jesus and His work of grace. Well, if you have faced some things this week and you need a fresh glimpse of Jesus, say amen. We need Jesus. The Bible makes clear the difference between the follower of Christ and those that do not know Christ is not whether or not they face obstacles. The Bible is just so clear. All of us face obstacles. The difference between the follower of Jesus and the one that doesn't know Jesus is that the follower of Christ, now catch this, the follower of Christ has faith that God will use even the obstacles in their life for His glory if we will submit our obstacles to the Lordship 
of his son. Let me say that again. The difference between you and those that do not know Jesus is not whether or not you will have obstacles. The difference is the follower of Christ has faith, that's very important, has faith that God will use even the obstacles in your life for the glory of His Son. We can see this clearly in the New Testament in Acts chapter 16. Would you turn there this morning? Go to Acts chapter 16 and read the first five verses with me. I want us to learn from a young man named Timothy. And learn from Timothy's story about how obstacles can become objects for the glory of God when we have faith. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Now remember, Paul and Barnabas, these great missionary partners, they have in the previous chapter, they have broken apart. They have had a falling out. And it's told us where Barnabas is headed and now where Paul is going to head. And, and basically, Paul is headed to what we would, we would call Europe today. Uh, and there are going to be some interesting events that happen to get him there, but Paul is going to begin to take the gospel somewhere new. But before he does that, he stops and visits some churches that he and Barnabas actually planted and got going. So it says in verse 16, remember, Paul and Barnabas are no longer together. Paul has brought Silas on to go with him. And it says, they came to Derby and Lystra, where they'd already been, where Paul and Barnabas had been, and they beheld a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, or, or in, in English we would say Timothy. There's one there named Timothy. Now, what's his story? Everybody's got a story. You've got a story, I've got a story. What's his story? Timothy was the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess. She was a Jew. And believe, she was a, a Jew who'd become a follower of Christ probably when Paul and Barnabas had come through the first time. So he has a mother that's a Jew who believes in Jesus. But his father was a Greek. His father was a Gentile. Uh, so this is a mixed marriage. Uh, this is one from the covenant of Abraham who's married somebody who is not of the covenant of Abraham. And this one, Timothy, verse 2, said, what, what else is his story? Well, he was reported well of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. And when Paul met him, look what it says. When, when Paul encountered him and saw the faith of Timothy, look what verse 3 says. Him, Timothy, would Paul have to go forth with him. Paul said, Timothy, I want you to go with me on my missionary journey. And so they took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, I'm going to show you in a minute that in that one sentence we learn a whole lot about the story of Timothy. He's circumcised as a teenager. We think he's probably uh, between 14 and 18 years old, maybe around 16 years old, and they circumcise him. Verse 4, They went through the cities, and they delivered unto them the decrees for the keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. So they went with what we saw a few weeks ago at the Jerusalem Council when they said, hey, Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. Gentiles don't have to do all the customs that we have. We just ask that they stay away from things that, that have been offered to idols, that they try to stay away from that, that they don't engage in sexual immorality, and that things that still have the, 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 the blood of life in them, animals that still have the blood of life, that they don't, they don't drink the blood, they don't engage in that kind of stuff. Other than that, we're not going to make the gospel hard. They need to follow Jesus. And the Jerusalem Council, they acknowledge that's going to be a little different for Gentiles than it will be for us in the Jewish tradition, but what's going to hold us together is Jesus and what 
he's done. So it says, verse 4, they went around and they shared these decrees. They told them what was ordained to the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And verse 5 says a wonderful thing. And so were the churches established in the faith, and they increased in number daily. Boy, before I went out of town, uh, that last Sunday night we had our camp service. And we learned of a couple of young men in our church that gave their life uh, to Christ at camp. If that is what it's about, say amen. It says here that they increased in number and they were established in the faith. Paul and Barnabas. What a team, what a duo. They are the Batman and Robin of the New Testament. And we saw just the other week, though, that their relationship has ended and it did not end well. And they were mad at each other and they were upset. And they just decided, we're not going to do ministry together anymore. We saw that Paul replaced Barnabas with Silas. But I would submit to you this morning that Paul is in a vulnerable place. One might even say that Paul is in a dangerous place place, a low place, because Paul has lost his closest companion in ministry. And I can tell you from observing other preachers and other ministers and other Christians that have just had people that they are close to, when those type of relationships are ruptured, it's a danger for everybody. But then God does something amazing. God does something amazing because that is the God that we serve. We serve an amazing God and He does something amazing. God leads Paul to the first of three young men that Paul would begin to disciple. Later would come come Philemon and another, but first there is Timothy uh, that is there. Timothy is the first of three young men that Paul is going to pour a lot into. There were probably others, but in the book of Acts we learn about three of them. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about this young man that Timothy encountered that's like a lot of you in this room today. Timothy had some big obstacles and some big hindrances in his life. And here's the thing with Timothy, and this is so true of so many of you in this room. Timothy's biggest obstacle was something he had zero control over. Sometimes the obstacles, the messes we make for ourselves, we can own those. And we can take those to God and we can recognize, man, God, I need forgiveness for that. I have made a mess. I have really messed this up. But you know what's hard for me? Like, this is super hard for me. And I've got a feeling that's super hard for you. Where I struggle with God sometimes is when there's a mess or there's an obstacle or there's there's opposition or there's something that happens in my life that I have zero control over. And yet it is a part of my story and it is a part of my life. I just want to, let's just be real. Any of, you, any of you in here have any obstacles that just you feel like this is not fair? If you ever feel that way, would you raise your hand? This is not fair. All around the room. Timothy has an obstacle, a hindrance, and it's something he has zero control over. It's something he was born into. Timothy's mother was a Jew. And his dad is a Greek. And you say, no big deal with that, no problem. Well, you're wrong because today's passage makes clear that Timothy has never gone through with circumcision. And you say, what's the big deal with never going through circumcision? Let me remind you again, this is a Jewish boy 
who was supposed to have been circumcised when he was a baby, be a full-fledged member of the Jewish community, but apparently his Greek father did not want to do that. So this is a young man who has a mother that's a Jew and, and, is, and is a part of the Jewish community, but not really because he's never been circumcised because dad is a Greek. So this is a boy who growing up, the Jews would have kept him at some length if they had anything to do with him. They would have kept him at length because he's never been circumcised, but he's also a boy because of his Jewish mother. And the ancient world was a lot like our world. He was never going to be accepted because, my goodness, he is a Jew. And Jews are weird with weird customs and weird stuff. And so Timothy grows up with this huge obstacle in his life, and it is one that he has zero control over. There are people in our church. There are children in our church today that had no control over the choices that their biological mother and their biological father made. And it has made life, if I can use this strong language, and I don't want to offend you, but this is the devil's intention. Did you know the devil's intention in the garden was to bring hell on earth? That's what he did. Because he, hell is where you're separated from God forever, and that's what he wanted. And I, I just, I want to use it as strong as I can. There's some people in this building, there's some children today, that their life has been hell on earth. You understand what I mean by that? Because of choices other people made that they have no control over. Can I tell you, we serve an amazing God, and He loves those children in our church. He loves them. And some of you, and I didn't realize this until I came to pastor, and I know I've said it several times, but it just continues to overwhelm me. It's almost every year now that when Mother's Day or Father's Day comes around, that I find out a new story from a new person, from an older person in our church, who the most horrific things happened to them when they were children that are far beyond anything. I mean, I can't even remotely relate to what they've been through because of the way I was raised. That there are, there is not just kids, there are adults in this room that you carry long-term hurt and pain because of choices that other people made. If you think God has no place for you in your kingdom, that is a lie of the devil because if he could use Timothy, who's a half-breed, he's going to use you. Now, I'm not... You understand I said half-breed. That's not what I would call him, but that's what they would refer to him as. He, he doesn't fit. His father cannot be a spiritual father to him because his father's not a believer. He's not going to get any help from his dad in these areas, and yet the Jewish people that could teach him the word of the Lord and show him the law and begin to explain things to him, they're going to always keep him at half distance. He could never. Doors are shut to Timothy, not because of anything he has ever done, but just because of who he is. Not a Jew, but not a pagan Greek. And if you feel stuck today and you feel like the world has shut the doors on me, I want to let you know that our God is many things, and one of the things that our God glories in doing is taking doors that others have shut on you because of sin in your life. Our God loves to destroy doors of sin. He wants to not just, He wants to demolish sin and all the works of sin and all the effects of sin. And one of the things God wants to do in the lives of believers is tear those doors of sin away. And, and, and what they do to people, He wants to change that. God is in the business of opening the doors of salvation to you. And so Paul comes along. And here's this one Timothy that not going to get guidance from his dad. He's not going to be accepted by the Jews. But God sends Paul his way. Because God loves getting people unstuck from the miry muck of sin and hopelessness that they find themselves in.
Now, Timothy's in a rough spot. He has a father who can't be a spiritual dad, and the devil knows how to exploit that. Because young boys and girls, for that matter, need men in their lives. Young boys need men to help show them the ropes, to challenge them, to assist them, to correct them, to point the way away from unwise choices to the ways of godly wisdom. These are roles that God intends for a father to play. But Timothy has a father who cannot, will not play the role. And then again, as an uncircumcised teen, the Jewish community, the men in that community could help him, but it's highly unlikely because he's not really a Jew. So the devil has Timothy right where he wants you and right where he wants me. Timothy's on his way to being another statistic, another person who could not overcome the problems and disadvantages that they had inherited in life. And some of you, many of you, know exactly what this is like to be in situations where the devil has got a hold on you and you can see no way out and you feel like I'm just about to be another statistic, another one that has fallen away. But my friends, we sang today, we sang of a God who shed his blood for you. We sang of a God who has won a victory for you. We have won Uh, We have sung of a God today who has done the most incredible, marvelous, amazing, impossible things for us. We see this morning how God turned Timothy's problems into something wonderful. And I just want to point out two of the ways this occurred. How does God take Timothy from this position of just the obstacles in front of him to one that can live in to what God wants, where the obstacle actually becomes an, an, an object for the glory of God? First way, God gets the glory. God gets the glory in this situation by Paul stepping in to be the spiritual father that Timothy needed. By investing in Timothy, Timothy ceases to be another casualty of sin and begins to grow and mature. And so I want to say this morning to those that are out there teaching children's church, to those in here that are part of the rotation, to Sunday school teachers, to those who have helped with younger students becoming a part of the music ministry or sound or video ministry, to those who make it a point every week to encourage the teens and students that they see, to everyone that has helped Brother Mark in the youth ministry, when you do that, to every person that has adopted a baby in this church, every one of you, in whatever way you have chosen, to reach out to a younger person that is coming up, when you do that, you are giving glory to God because when you invest in that younger person, you are stealing glory from the devil who wants to make everybody a statistic, and if he can get them young, he loves to do that. You are stealing the devil's glory that he does not deserve, and you are giving it to God the Father every time you do what is right towards a young person and investing in them. You say, well, I was just trying to be nice and kind of do the right thing. You need a bigger vision of what God wants in your life. Because, yes, you were just being nice, but God's got a bigger plan for us than just being nice. He wants to make sure that we help everybody we come into contact, but give give him glory because God deserves the glory, and Jesus certainly deserves the glory because he died for a worthless person like you. And so every time, every time you teach a class, Every time you help them learn how to sing, play an instrument, every time you are kind to them, every time you do that, you are taking a child that the devil has a plan for and a purpose for, and that purpose is for them to use their life to give him glory, and you are stealing the glory from the devil, and you are giving the glory to God. 
Timothy. And that's what Paul does with Timothy. Paul is in a dangerous position because his great relationship with Barnabas is over. God puts a Timothy in his life which represents a choice and Paul makes the right choice. The choice is I'm not just going to wallow in what has happened. I'm now going to invest in the people that God puts in front of me. And so Paul begins to give God glory by investing in this young man because he's showing that this time, this sacrificial time and giving it is really just a reflection of the sacrificial love that Jesus gave for us. Man, if you want to steal glory from the devil today and you want to give Jesus some glory, say amen. Well, guess what? You do it in songs, but you also do it in how you treat others. And whether or not you make time for them to help them in their walk. So God gets the glory, number one, by Paul stepping in to be the spiritual father that Timothy needs. But there's a second way that God gets glory in this story. God gets the glory by two believers demonstrating a willingness to personally sacrifice so that some may be one to Jesus. You say, wait a minute, I didn't catch that. I caught the first part of them giving glory because, yeah, he, he invests in Timothy and, and Timothy's having a rough life. But preacher, I didn't catch that part about two believers giving God glory because they willingly sacrifice so that some may be one to Jesus. Here's the thing. Again, we're told this right on the heels of Paul and Barnabas falling apart. Because that could have been a situation where the devil gets the glory. Instead, Paul invests in Timothy and God gets new glory. So the Barnabas phase is over, but a new phase of ministry for Paul is beginning. And this influence that Paul has is going to quickly be shown in Timothy. And it comes about with the fact that this teenager who doesn't have to decides to be circumcised. Now, I kind of was thinking the other day in my office at church, I was like, how am I going to talk about this? Because this is just kind of a, a weird thing to talk about. So I'm just going to tell you a story. Uh, and this is one of those that if you tell Ethan I told you this, I will skin you alive. Can I tell you when my firstborn, so, see poor Owen, well this has already happened before, he'll be alright. You know, it's the second kid. With Ethan... When they took my firstborn away to circumcise him, and he came back red-faced, crying and screaming and carrying on, it was horrible. Physically, it was horrible for him. Emotionally, it was horrible for me because I did not like the fact that my son had just gone through some sort of pain. By the way, there are a number of reasons that God gave circumcision to Jews. Some of them are probably for health reasons. Some of it also has to do with that is an early sign that what it's going to cost God to do to save the human race is going to be painful and it is going to change everything. But aren't you glad Jesus came and bore the pain for you? So I know my boy. And I, and I can still see in the hospital, I can still remember my emotion as they took him away to have this done. And I can remember after it was done, and I can remember he wasn't happy and he was upset. I, you're a teenager who, because of the grace of God, you don't have to do this. But so you can have better ministry to the Jewish people, you choose to do this. You see, when Paul met Timothy, Paul was in another dangerous position. Paul, let me get theological with you. 
You see, we read about the Jerusalem Council, if you were with us. If you missed that, the Jerusalem Council was where Paul and Barnabas, they went to Jerusalem where the first disciples of Jesus were, and they went there because there was a growing problem. And the problem were there were these, these Pharisees that had become followers of Jesus, but they were beginning to teach people and say, well, it is Jesus, but you also need to do this, this, and this to really be right with the Lord, to really be saved and really live the way God wants you to, to stay saved. You've got to keep doing these things. And Paul, who had been so radically changed and knew, no, 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 it is grace that has saved us. Paul took a stand at Jerusalem and told them, this is wrong. It is not Jesus plus this stuff. We've got to stop this teaching. And some of you who have been wishy-washy and allowing this to, to go on, you've got to grow a backbone. And you've got to realize that Gentiles are now able to be saved and part of the family. And it's, it's just Jesus. Boy, if you're glad it's just Jesus, say amen. Just Jesus. So here's the danger. Before the Jerusalem Council, the great danger are these Judaizers that are adding something to Jesus. After the Jerusalem Council, there's now a new danger. And the new danger is that many will begin to interpret, interpret what Paul has done and the hard stand he has taken and say, well, guess what? This Old Testament stuff, this Jewish stuff, uh, this, this, that, that, that doesn't mean anything anymore. And so just do whatever, just do whatever you want to do because it's just Jesus and you can, you can do whatever. Paul, and, and that's not what Paul wants. Paul does not want anybody to think that the story of the Jews don't matter because it's the Jews that Jesus came through. He, he doesn't want that. And he doesn't want his Jewish brothers and sisters to feel like, well, Paul, you have just stomped us in the ground and you don't have any place for us anymore. And this really is a Gentile thing you're doing. And there's, there's, there's absolutely no place for us. Paul does not want that. All Paul wants is one single thing for everybody, Jew or Gentile, to know that it's about Jesus. So he's got this new danger and, and it becomes kind of clear in some of the other letters that Paul, apparently, and those that were under him, well, Paul's just going to let you do whatever. Paul's just trying to turn us all into a bunch of Gentiles. No, Paul is trying to turn people into followers of Christ. And so he meets Timothy, who the Jews have really never embraced, but he has a connection to them. And apparently, Paul tells Timothy... Timothy, you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to do that because that's, it's about Jesus. But here's the thing. If you get circumcised, the Jews might listen to you. If you get circumcised, this group that has kept you at arm's length, they might listen to the word of God that you can proclaim to them because they know you. And let me tell you something, and I, you can see it happening. If you do this, it's going to open up a door of opportunity for the gospel. Now, our kids are out of here. Part, there's a number of reasons we have children's church. One of them is so some texts like this we can, because we need to be confronted with them. Men especially. Would you do this for the spread of the gospel? Would you, not having to do that as a teenager, and yeah, they do things to help with the pain, but would you do that as a teenager because it might win some to Jesus? That question troubles me a little bit. It's supposed to trouble me and it's supposed to bother me. Because you can read over a verse like that and just keep going. You know what this is a reflection of again? Jesus did whatever it took to save you. And he wants you to use your freedom in Christ not to engage in sin, 
but to do whatever you need to do to see somebody else saved. Young people, this is a high calling. This is a big calling. This is not about a thousand of the trivial things that we argue about or fight about or that we think it's this or that. This is what it comes down to. Paul meets Timothy. And there's a dangerous place. God has a big plan for Paul and a big purpose for Paul. But after the Jerusalem Council, one danger has been pushed back. A new danger is now developing. And God has Timothy right where he wants him to help send a message, not just to this group that Timothy can help reach, but to everybody else. Hey, if you think Paul is about just just having nothing to do with the Jews anymore and just doesn't have any consideration for them and, and, and that there's no place for what's happening. If you think that, you're wrong because Paul is the biggest influence, male spiritual influence on this man, Timothy, this boy Timothy. And he led him to be, game approval apparently led him to be circumcised. That sort of radical choice that Timothy made that sort of deep understanding of Paul, that whatever it takes to see people saved is what it's going to take, that is the kind of action that brings glory to God in a world where the devil is working every day and never takes a vacation to steal the glory away from God. That act was an act of one whose heart had been covenanted and changed, a heart that had been circumcised, that now he's willing to do this in the flesh, not because there's anything in the flesh, but because his heart had actually been changed by what Jesus had done. So how is Paul doing in discipling Timothy? He's doing a great job. Paul's doing a great job if in his commitment to the Lord, he is now leading another who is willing to do whatever it takes so that sinners could be saved and God would get the glory. The devil, no doubt, the devil had made Timothy feel unwanted, unloved, and unsure of himself. And some of you feel that way today. Unloved, unwanted, and unsure. Maybe you were that kid who was never fully accepted. I want to tell you something. God wants to use your hurt God wants to take your pain and He wants to make it into a masterpiece for His glory. Well, if it's a beautiful thing when God takes the problems in our life, the obstacles in our life, and begins to do something beautiful that we never saw, if that is a marvelous thing, say amen. You see, when America got started, there were a lot of obstacles. British Army, British Navy. We are a very imperfect nation. We're a nation full of sin. But I will say, God has done some beautiful things. He's done some beautiful things for His cause and His name and His glory that you could have never imagined in 1776. But what about your obstacles? What about your story? What about your problems? To bring it home a little closer, what is, and I want you to think about this in your mind, what is it that the devil is using today to defeat you? I believe this. I believe the devil has something that he's using to try to defeat Austin and Julia and Andrew and Sarah and Tucker 
Patricia and Anthony and every person in this room, I believe there's a pressure point that he knows and the power of sin knows. So what is it today? What is it that the devil is trying to use to defeat you, to make you feel unsure and unloved and unwanted? God wants to take that very thing to save you from it and to do something beautiful with it. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? How do you know that God wants to do that? Because 2,000 years ago, the devil and sin raised up the most horrific obstacle there has ever been. Some 2,000 years ago, the devil and the power of sin, the evilness that lurks in the hearts of each and every one of us, raised up the most horrible obstacle, the obstacle of a cross. That cross was meant to hinder, to destroy, to steal the glory of God's Son, Jesus. How was this cross going to steal the glory that was due to God? By subjecting Jesus to death, to pain, to humiliation, to rejection, abandonment by the very ones that He had poured His life into. God did something beautiful at the cross. For at the cross where... Satan meant one thing. God did something else. The same cross meant to humiliate and destroy and to bring down and to steal the glory of God. That same cross 2,000 years ago was used by God to defeat sin, to undo the devil, to bring forgiveness, to bring a purpose to your life and mine, to throw open some doors that the devil has shut so that you can know today is the day of salvation. How do you know God do something beautiful with the hurt in my life. That's a big step to trust Him with that. To come to the altar and admit the thing in my life that is keeping me from God. The weight around my neck, the sin that is there. That's a big thing, preacher. How do you know? I know the only way that any of us ever really know because of what Jesus did and what the cross became. This morning, God wants you. Like Timothy, God wants you with all your problems and all your warts and all the issues of your past. And listen, God is not scared of your issues. In fact, He wants to use them to do something wonderful for His name, for His glory, for the cause of His Son, Jesus. So if you're a sinner today, we preachers, we've really only got one message. It's a big story and lots of avenues to the story, but at the end of the day, there's one big message while we're here. That is, whatever your problem, whatever your story, whatever your hurt, Jesus can save you today. But you've got to come in faith. You've got to trust God. And that can be a real scary thing to trust God. It can be scary. But if some of you don't come to God and trust God, your story is not going to get any better. And your problems and your pain and your hurt are never going to be used for anything other than the devil wants. But you can have a different story today. It begins and ends with Jesus. If you love Jesus today, say amen. Big obstacles. God used the obstacles in Timothy's life to bring maximum glory to his name and his fame. I, I know at church camp, 
There are a lot of conversations about obstacles and problems that you face. Maybe today's the day to come and kneel at an altar. Because church camp goes and it fades away and the feeling of church camp fades away. But the decisions you made don't have to fade and they don't need to fade. But you're going to have to keep trusting God with whatever that thing is. Some of you, I've been on vacation so I hadn't talked to anybody but I can guarantee you there's some husbands and there's wives this week that there's some problems in your relationship. And there were some conversations made and there were things that happened that honestly as a couple, man, you need to give it to God. And I know there's some people here today that have never been saved. He's calling to you. And he wants to make your story the same story that he made with Timothy. Would you stand with me this morning? Look right here before we pray. Everybody faces an obstacle. If your obstacle is you've never given your life to Christ, now is the day to do that. He is waiting to receive you. You just got to step on in faith. Tell Him you want to be saved. That you you know sin is destroying. That you want to embrace Him. He wants to save you today. If you're already saved and there's other obstacles, listen, He knows. Don't, Don't be too proud. You need to come today. You come. Let's see, so what number are we going to sing after I pray? 180. Let's pray. Let's do some business with God. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for the message of your word and what it says to us. Thank you for Timothy. What an encouragement. Lord, I pray today if there's obstacles, or if there's anybody that feels the tug of your spirit, that they would come today and kneel, that they would trust you. Father God, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll sing from 180 if you need to come this morning. Listen, you come.